What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain Jordan Harbinger is the host of the Art of Charm podcast, pushing 10 years podcasting. He's a true OG. We've been trying to make this podcast happen for years. We finally got it done. I hope you enjoy it. I often wonder if I like drink, if I'm the one guy, because you know how everyone's dehydrated. I often wonder if I'm like the one guy who's not. Like <laughs> not dehydrated mm-hmm. yeah like 80 percent of the world is chronically dehydrated except for yeah. you who's overhydrated and i'm overhydrated and i'm like <laughs> urinating 40 times a day and they're yeah. like oh you're you have spinal problems because you have no vitamins in your body <laughs> yeah you've pissed out all your electrolytes literally yeah all day long and uh there man there was a point at which i was like oh man you know um I go to the doctor. I'm like, I don't know if it's normal, you know? And he's like, well, how many times do you go to the bathroom every day? And I was like, um, like 19 or 20, you know, probably. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> per day? I'm like, yeah, you know, pretty how, much. How soon did he put his finger in your butthole after you, after you told him that you had to go to <laughs> yeah. the bathroom 19 times? Uh, I, it was <laughs> like, okay, Jordan, bend over. Yeah, yeah. It was, he, he was like, well, wait a minute. You're too young for this because this is years ago. But he's like, how much liquid are you drinking? I'm like, all right, I got to tally this up. And it was it was somewhere around like four liters of tea, like decaffeinated, just herbal tea or, or water. Mm-hmm. Uh, tons of spring water, sparkling water, maybe like a kombucha or like a decaf or regular coffee in the morning. Just like so much liquid because I'm broadcasting all day, talking and yeah. getting rid of all that that stuff and just like trying to keep my mouth uh, moist too because <laughs> right. otherwise it's really uncomfortable. And it's just consistent every single day. Yeah. And so for a while, I was like, maybe you can drink too much. But if you Google, am I drinking too much? You end up with either alcohol stuff <laughs> or you end up with like, oh, it's almost impossible to drink too much liquid. You'd have to drink liters and liters, gallons of liquid. And I'm like, what if you're doing that, though? You know? I think it's just about electrolyte balance. So the only, the only issues that I really see are, you know, you can run into electrolyte balance issues if you're not replenishing, you know, those, Sugar those minerals. Sugar salt or just salt? Yeah, salt. You don't need the sugar, plenty of that, yeah, you know, plenty, plenty of, that. of that in your, in your diet in general, but, uh, making sure you get enough salt, so maybe some additional minerals, like some magnesium, potassium, yeah. different things like that, um, along with the sodium. But so speaking of broadcasting all day, I saw you have a little badge on the art of charm. Now it says celebrating 10 years. Oh yeah. 10 years, 10 years. Not a lot of people can say that. No, 10 years of doing the show. And that was in December. So I don't know when this when you're listening to this, but this that was December. Might be eleven years. Yeah, it might be eleven <laughs> years now. And then I got to yeah. figure out how to update the show art again. Uh, <laughs> but ten's a nice round number. Might leave it there for a while. So yeah, it's been a long time. But it, you know, of course, it wasn't every day all day for ten years. It was once every three weeks for the first couple of years, yeah. and then podcasting became more popular. And then it was like, oh, I really enjoy doing this. And I I didn't start off thinking like this is a business that I'm going to start doing. So it's it's an interesting path because it is easy for somebody like me right now to look at on it as a brand and go, oh man, you guys, you know, you started in 2011 and I started in 2006. Oh, I'm such a failure. But it's like, <laughs> well, I kind of didn't really treat it like a real business until maybe just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. What was the turning point? Was it just a matter of like momentum, you know, where you just saw, oh damn, or was it a particular advertising offer where you're like, well, wait a minute here. There was a couple, there were a couple of, maybe you'd call it pivotal moments, but uh, that might be putting too dramatic of a spin on it. It's hard to say. But one of them was, it was episode 250. This is like our seven year anniversary episode or something like that. And I had made friends with this producer guy and he was like, 
hey, you know, the equipment you're using sounds like crap. Let me lend you a bunch of stuff. And he lent me a bunch of stuff, and I spent a whole week figuring out how to use it. It was really complicated professional audio gear. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, this is a hobby thing, and I really started to enjoy it. And the interview that I had at the end of that week was Robert Greene, author of Mastery, 48 Laws of Power, et cetera. And he was like, I've been waiting to do this interview for so long. How come you didn't ask me to do this earlier? And I thought, well, because you're a world famous author and I run a freaking podcast in Uh, my girlfriend's living room, you know, (laughs) or or somebody else's basement, depending on, you know, how long we're talking about. And at the end of the interview, he goes, you know, this is one of the best interviews that I've ever done, I think. And I thought like, what are you talking about? Do you just, are you just a really nice guy to everybody? I mean, what a compliment. And I realized, look, I'd done a lot of prep work. I'd been doing, I, like I said, it was episode 250. And I remember after that thinking, well, if he thinks that, then maybe I'm really starting to get the hang of this mm-hmm. after seven years. And that's when I really doubled down on learning all the stuff about the audio gear, really upgrading the sound quality in the show. And I think I went from dabbler to professional. And I think yeah. it took seven years because I'd never really thought about the possibility of of becoming really pro in that particular niche. And sometimes it just takes time. Mm-hmm. I think that's a point that, you know, I know Gary V makes a lot of times. Like things are slower than you want it to be. We have this oh, instant yeah. gratification fantasy. Like you're gonna do a podcast and all of a sudden out of the gate you're gonna get that ten thousand downloads for your first show and just crush it, you know, and build from there. No. You're going to get 200 downloads, you know, yeah. you're going to get and, 300, 350. Yeah. And, and 200 gonna... of them are like robots or <laughs> yeah. some guy whose app got stuck, you know, downloading it 58 times. Yeah. So, and you got to fight through that. You know, you got to like, if you really believe this, if you know where you're going, you got to just keep going. You know, did you ever, did you ever doubt it? I guess when it's, when you're not taking it that seriously and you just enjoy it, it's easier not to just get frustrated and say, screw this. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point and a good question because there was, a, a lot of people go, well, what, what do you regret? And I think I asked you this on my show, yep. on Art of Charm podcast, what do you regret about, or what would you redo if you had to start over? And there's one side of me that says, well, I would, I would have treated the, the show more like something professional. We'd been doing training and live training boot camps and online products and things like that for a long time. But I treated the show, I was I had one foot in hobby and one foot in, this is a lead gen for our business or this is something that I'm doing professionally. I wanna say that I would do the show more professionally and treat it more like a business earlier on. But the problem is when you try to do that early on, you look at things like downloads, like you mentioned earlier, and you go, oh man, I'm only getting a thousand people listening. This is a waste of time. There's never gonna be ROI and you give up. Mm-hmm. And that's why most people quit. I think the stats are like 98% of shows, they quit before episode 13. Wow. And that's that's most podcasts. And that that's probably, at some level, there's going to be some skew like that, maybe less extreme, for pretty much every artistic pursuit, every business pursuit. Yep. So I want to say, yeah, I treat it more like a professional endeavor. But the luxury that we had of not caring, of releasing once every other week, doing the show when we were interested in doing the show only when we had a guest that we were interested in. That was really nice. Not looking at the numbers really beyond once a quarter to make sure nothing was broken or, or that we were going straight down or straight up. Looking at those numbers just occasionally and not worrying about it, not living every minute of the day by that, that was a huge advantage because it just kept me doing something that I enjoyed slowly and slowly getting better at it but not worrying about, oh, well, the last episode got 8,000 downloads and this one got six. Obviously, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good at this. I quit. Right? Yeah. And, and I do that to myself now. And when I, <laughs> when I look at, oh, man, this last month we got 4 million downloads. Oh, no, this month we only got 3.8. This is a downward trend. And I'm like, wait, yeah. hold on. Reality check. Seven years you did this and it probably went up and down like crazy. Sure. And you never gave a crap. Now we have a down day and you think, you know, my life is over, you know, like reality check. Yeah. So you have to really bring that mindset into any business that you start. You have to, I don't normally advise people to dabble, um, but I think in this respect, I'm going to say, look, there's something to be said for not being obsessed about tracking every little thing, because you can really talk your way out of doing something that you like by turning it into a business and just ruining it completely. You know, it's, it's interesting, especially on the podcast thing, because like if you were, if you had a room and I've, and I've done this, I've had a room full of 150 people 
and I'll give them a, a one hour, like a one hour talk and I'll feel like, man, really good. And just 150 people who heard it. But I had the podcast going for a while and I was getting, you know, 20,000, 25,000 mm-hmm. people listening and be like, 20,000. Now this sucks. <laughs> this sucks, yeah. right? And then, you know, one of, my, one of the people on my team was like, 20,000. You realize like you used to go to LA Kings games? You realize they had 16,000 people in right. there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like 20,000 is a stadium that you're talking to and you're in their ear and they're paying attention. Like get it, get it right. And and the same thing with like a couple hundred downloads, like, all right, maybe not all of those downloads. We'll find out soon when they release the actual right. statistics, yeah. what's actually happening. But there's a lot of people listening. And if you actually had those and could see those people, you know, then you would realize that yeah. even with a small podcast, you're making an impact. The level of influence is something that you can't really, you have to imagine it, right? And I I remember when we first hit, I don't know, I think it was like 105,000 downloads per episode a few, a while back. I remember thinking like, oh man, we're growing so slowly. And then I thought, wait a minute, I went to the University of Michigan. You go to a football game there and like places sold out. People are just, you can't, I mean, it's 45 minute bathroom line. The big house. Right, the big house. And they go, you're watching a football game with 105,704 people. And you're like looking around at this <laughs> immense sea of people in the big house. And then you think, wait a minute, every time I turn this thing on and I you know, say something that I haven't thought very clearly about, maybe I should pay more attention because every, there's this many people are listening. Yeah. Now it's way more than that. So it's, it's hard whenever I think, oh man, I'm not, I'm comp- you compare yourself to Rogan or something like that, which is not a good comparison measure for any <laughs> right. podcaster to have. You think I'm never going to get that kind of audience. And that may well be true, but it, the question is, does it matter? Cause if you had the chance to stand at the bottom of Michigan stadium and go, Hey everybody, I just wanted to tell you about blue apron or yeah. on it. Yeah, you, know, you would shit your pants break, every you would, time. Of course, every time. <laughs> and the amount of influence you have that those people willingly grabbed your show and are listening to it. And they're listening to your voice. Not only is it a huge level of responsibility and influence, but it's a huge honor. So if you have 105 people instead of 105,000 and you're worried about the quality of your influence or your show or your platform or your blog or whatever you've got going, just imagine them all sitting in front of you and the dynamic changes tremendously. Yeah, I think that's good advice. But the podcast space though, now it's getting interesting because it is crowded. You oh yeah, like 350,000 people- or something like that podcast now. And you know, so it can be, it can be really discouraging to start a podcast yeah. at this point, because like, how do you have time to, to listen to all that? So do you still, True. are you still, you know, recommending the average everyday person, you know, if they have the point to get across, are you still saying, you know what? Yeah, it's crowded, but your message is unique. Go do it. You know, do you I'm, still think, are you still in that camp? I, I don't think I was ever in that camp of recommending podcasting because I think it's a terrible business. <laughs> And it's kind of, and I don't know how you feel about, let's say, fitness and supplements. If other people, I'm sure you get emails like, hey, I've got a great idea. I don't want to launch it with you, though. I want to go off on my own. You're probably like, hey, look, whatever, I, yeah. or, or good luck, or don't do it. I'm in the don't do it camp when it comes to starting your own show. I think everybody wants to have their own podcast because they feel like it's fun and cool, and that's great. But a lot more people think they're going to make a business out of it. They're going to become some sort of thought leader, which I I hate that term. Also, the term (laughs) thought leader is to me kind of just bullshitty completely. And it it says, I want to have influence over people so that I can brand myself as this expert in this area. And the whole thing just kind of smacks of ego. And Mm -hmm. if, if you're listening to me right now and you're like, I don't care what you say, Jordan, I'm going to start it. And And I don't care if anybody listens to it. Then you're doing it for the, the right, right reasons. You're the right person. You're the right person. Because if I say, don't do it, it's a terrible business, which it is. It's hard to earn money. It's hard to produce the show. It's really hard because you, you got to be a performer. And if you get sick of doing your show, you can't be like, hey, uh, Clarius, can you hire someone to do my podcast for me? Because I'm, I'm just bored of this thing. No, right. it's Aubrey Marcus podcast, right? Yeah. You can't outsource it. That's bad for business. If you can't outsource it, that's a problem for every single business out there. So you better love doing it. You better like doing it regularly and you have to take pride in it because now the competition isn't just what it was when I started, which was, hey, we're in a basement and we might release one every other week or so. Not sure what day. People are like, good enough for me, Jordan. Now 
it's got to be every day that you say you're going to release, you got to release, right? If you're going to do it every Thursday, it's got to be every Thursday. People are expecting it. They don't want to hear your furnace in the background. They don't want to hear people talking in the background. Mm -hmm. They don't want one person's voice to be louder than the other. They don't want it to be in stereo. And don't you dare eat a snack. And don't you eat a snack. (laughs) No matter what it is, you better not eat a protein bar, (laughs) wrapping that thing. You know, you can't do that. The, The bar is much higher. Why not become a blogger where you can have 58 people that make $25 an hour writing these posts and then you rewrite them in your own voice. Now you've got enough for a month and you can let it go, right? There's, you have yeah. to love doing it. It's just like, it's a passion project where guys like you and me and Rogan can just by the grace of God and a ton of hard work, make a good living out of it. But it is a terrible, it's like saying, look, I'm going to move to Austin and I'm going to be uh guitar player and it's i'm definitely going to make a living off of this yeah for and it's sure. going to be a great way to make money for that, sure if i told you that you'd be like you're a moron yeah but if i tell you i'm going to do a podcast and release an ebook people are like oh bravo that is genius <laughs> and i'm just thinking what are you doing what are you talking about but on the other hand right when i started I, there were 800 shows in itunes and me and aj we weren't starting it looking for a business idea we just thought no one's going to listen to this how are they going to find us 800 other shows now there's 350,000. Are there too many now? There's a lot. I don't know if there's still too many. I think it, we're still well before peak podcast, but it is trendy now. It is. And, and it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thing now because iTunes has so dominated the search engine oh, aspect yeah. of it, right? Like, and hacking the iTunes, I think, is a real, is a real kind of factor at yeah. this point like trying to show up on the lists and gaming the lists and it's a weird it's a weird environment it's it's also something you see in social media where there was a period where people got ahead like buying fifty thousand followers right. or a hundred thousand like, followers we're on to you now though man. <laughs> yeah because then the you should see the engagement but then you can buy followers that have engagement right but then it looks funny and they're saying right. the same things everything you post is like cool man great <laughs> <Yeah>. one <laughs> but that worked that worked for a while that tricked a bunch of people back in the day i remember we had people coming to us and they had you know a million twitter followers and like how the hell do you have a million twitter followers like what what possible and then we would look into it and just things seemed a little fishy but he almost got a big you know sponsorship contract and he was getting other things from that and it's interesting you know when this kind of and i was talking to duncan trussell about this like when the artificial intelligence bot system and you can really becomes a force where it becomes very hard to distinguish Ooh, good point. the I bots from that. that and you have download farms that are hacking the iTunes charts yeah. and writing comments you know and so you put out a podcast and it gets 500 comments and they all look legit and yeah. it's and it's 50 500,000 downloads from all over the world and you look like a celebrity and you're then on your then you're on what's hot and then you're on top of the charts and then right. actual people are downloading it and then it's it's like there's an interesting game that's going to be played and the same with like engagement and Instagram, especially you look at, you know, Facebook posts, right? The algorithm they have, if they show strong engagement out of the gate, they show it to more people and then those more people can share it. And it's a weird place we live in where soon enough, like the bot army is going to be a a real force to be reckoned with. It's a little scary. I hadn't really thought about that. I guess I'm a chump. I built an actual (laughs) audience of humans, man. Those people are so slow. Robots would have been way faster and probably cheaper, man. And they pay, they pay attention certainly much, much better. You're right. I hadn't thought about the fact that now it's going to be really tough to distinguish. And have you seen this piece of software I don't think it's public. In fact, I think it's purposely not public. Adobe had made this piece of software that can it can listen, and I'm putting that in air quotes, of course. It's an AI piece of audio software. It can listen to, say, 20 hours of the Aubrey Marcus podcast, and then I can tell it to say things in your voice, and it will perfectly be able to mimic. It's not just cutting out the words that you said in your podcast and making it a sentence. It is analyzing the tone of your voice, the cadence of your speech, the way that you talk, the vocabulary that you're using uh, in certain respects. And then I can type a phrase like, I watch cable TV all day and it'll sound just like you. Maybe the intonation's a little strange, but it's beta software. And it sounds like- Eventually it won't be strange. Eventually it'll look exactly right. And that's when we're going to get into this really fucking funky world where 
you won't really be able to trust things. Yeah, you won't be able to trust anything. You know, so you'll have there'll be clips online of people saying things because the the AI ability to facial recognize and then mask with CGI mouth movements with voice movements. You'll have somebody saying some shit online and be like, "No, I didn't say that." Yeah, because I have a video, and they're like, "I know you have a video, and and that's fake too." It'll have it'll have the amount of credibility as it would if I wrote a blog post and said Aubrey Marcus said he watches eighteen hours of Netflix every day and only eats Alpha Brain for instead of food. If I read that, I would say that's that's a bunch of bullshit. But then you're going to hear it in your voice and see your face saying it. That's going to be ridiculous. I mean, you think the the news and the media are not trustworthy now? Imagine what it's like when you literally can't believe your own eyes unless you were in the room. And you know, imagine the the propaganda machine as that gets yeah, kind of that. You know, it just seems really scary. It's, actually, it's terrifying. But I think it goes back to your earlier point. Uh, in fact, that you'd made on the Art of Charm podcast earlier about trust, because you'll know that yeah. the Aubrey Marcus podcast, the Art of Charm podcast, is not going to willingly deceive you for some quick financial or otherwise gain so trust will become more important and you'll have a few trusted sources that you can actually believe in yeah versus now where i know people complain like the media it's all fake but i think most of us who are reasonable know there's there's actually plenty of reasonable trustworthy sources of information you just have to have a, a good set of critical thinking skills like what we're teaching on our show and what we teach on aoc however in the future, you're going to have the level of trust probably go higher with certain in certain silos, like with mm-hmm. certain figures. People are going to really be listening to Rogan. They're really going to be listening to you. They're really going to yep. be listening to me, I hope, because they know that we're one of the only outlets that's not going to go, hmm, well, I could pretend I interviewed the president and make him say <laughs> this thing and then sell a ton of Blue Apron subscriptions and buy a boat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good point. You know, it'll always, there'll always be the sources that you can control. And of course, somebody could hack that, but you know, and, and I think that's where the value of live is going to come. And, and when you're just really standing there and turning on that camera and being like, all right, here's me, you know, this is, this is what's going on. Right. And then if people trust you, then I think that that's ultimately going to be the way to break through. But it's, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be a really interesting world that we're transitioning into where, um, but like all things, we just have to accommodate and, and adapt and evolve and systems will come in place, you know, and it's a cops and robbers thing too, with the social platforms, you know, as AI gets smarter, the AI detecting other AI will get smarter. Yeah. <laughs> you man. know, so it's like the, the hackers and the, and the security platforms, you know, it's this red queen system where one gets better, the other gets better, one gets better, the other gets better and whoever manages that. And if they come out with a social platform, that's better than the ai and you can really trust it well then people will divert their attention over to that one so it's just just gonna be an interesting game i'll tell you though there'll be a time when we're thinking you know those things you click that says i am not a bot and it's like oh okay and it somehow uses your mouse movements maybe or you (laughs) gotta type in like it says rose canary and you type that (laughs) caption we're gonna laugh at those in a few years because of how easy that's gonna be for ai to dupe but right now Think of how primitive that check is, right? It's like if someone knocked on your door and you were like, who is it? And they were like, damn it, you got me again. And they just left, right? You know, that's the the equivalent of that. Oh, man, I don't know what to say now. You got me here. Right. Yeah. But eventually it'll be, you know, retina scanning. Yeah. You'll have no clue how to not fake it. Yeah. Yeah. Or they'll be such HD shit. They won't even be asking you. You know, they'll just know. Right. They'll just know based upon a set of behavior and your key Oh, that's how Jordan Harbinger breathes when he's looking (laughs) at the computer screen. That's that's how hard he presses on the R key when he's typing these things. It's not that far away man it's got because they're gonna have to go somewhere with that with the camera and the facial recognition plus Mm -hmm. maybe your voice plus maybe your fingerprint because it's only a matter of time until security is is defeatable to the point where and then and then at what point are we still relevant i don't know but i (laughs) sure as shit still want to be able to check gmail yes speaking of still relevant do you ever you know you have a podcast talks a lot about a lot of business matters and you know a lot of economists and different thinkers are basically predicting that up to a third of the country is going to have there's going to be no jobs available here pretty soon everything's going to be automated trucks are going to be automated all of these different things 
and that's going to be another massive disruptive force you know do you ever oh, yeah do you ever talk to people who who kind of address that or think about that yourself like I what do. is this what is this future that we're going into i do think about that a lot because i used to be an attorney i guess i, I technically still am but i don't mm. practice and one of the the go-to catchphrases is always like it's not just going to be manufacturing jobs it's going to be lawyers and doctors that are obsolete and they say that because of course legal research is something that could easily be done by ai much faster legal thinking and, and constructs can be done for the most part and half of what most lawyers do anyway is document filing especially if it's like trusts estates things like that a lot of that stuff at the at the bottom level is very basic yeah so yeah i think about that all the time and uh, man was it kevin kelly or maybe peter diamandis or somebody like that was saying there's an intersection at which you are creating enough of what where enough of what you're doing is artistic and enough of what you are doing is specialized to your own experience and the way that you express it that you become still for the time being irreplaceable ceo is another one of those that's going to become a different job but not irrelevant because what you do all day sure. at on it in my imagination is make a bunch of small decisions all the time and go mm, this is a job for this person actually let's not do this uh, i don't like the look of that let's meet about it later these are decisions that computers cannot yet make some of your job will be automated but a lot of it has to do with your judgment which mm. computers can't really do yet yeah. Uh, and what I do is essentially a performance. Wouldn't you look at like Joe Rogan's podcast? That's essentially a performance, right? It's not even essentially. It is a performance. That stuff, they still haven't figured out how or if they will ever automate. It's only a matter of time, of course, before there's a Rogan bot that's always funnier or always right. not, that's you know, a not scary tired. Thing. I heard someone describe that as like, imagine you had one year to come up with the proper response to every question and every comment. Right. Like, that's how fast these these bots and these AI will be able to think in real time. So they'll be able to comb through a year's, what would take you a year to come up and practice and measure the right response or the right intonation. You know, they'll be able to do that every single time they say us anything. And at that point, potentially they could be funnier than we are. Absolutely. Imagine they look at all the comedy and they're able to analyze this somehow. Yeah. They're able to analyze everything that's gone on in that conversation. And there's callback humor that's immediate based on like, well, I'm going to read the whole transcript of this, look at all the current news that's going on in the news cycle right now, read all of those, watch all those videos in one-tenth of one second and come up with the perfect thing to say that's relevant and funny. And then with art too, analyzing the different art patterns. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit romantic and I want to hold out for you know the value of humanity above yeah. all else. But it's, and, and I still believe that there is that something there is something about a human connection i don't think you'll ever be able to put your heart up against a robot and feel what you feel you know when you put your heart up against another human being but maybe the, right yeah but what if you can't tell the difference right like what if you're looking at a piece of art and you think that's amazing and then you find out that ah, was painted by a lego printer that's you know? well that's possible i'm talking about like the actual physical connection oh i'm sure but you you do know, right? You've seen those weird I've Japanese seen Westworld. robots. Yeah, I've seen, Westworld, I've seen yeah. Westworld. Westworld. And it's like, is that only a matter of time? Uh, and sure, you know it's a robot, so you maybe don't care. And then you're like, ah, I like my human companion. But what if there was a robot that maybe never pissed you off and always looked great and didn't yeah. need to hit the gym and didn't need coffee in the morning before they <laughs> before they had that glow that you appreciate so much? It's an interesting it's an interesting thought experiment. I wonder yeah. if they'll be able to pass that, you know, if they'll be able to pass that mark, you know, where where you can really feel all the same things. I mean, I, I explore a lot of psychedelic states and there's there's things that happen amongst conscious human beings. I guess it's a question of whether robots are going to become conscious because there's a thing that happens amongst conscious human beings, especially in that space, that transcends ordinary sensory perception mm -hmm. you know and, and it happens also when you're having sex or in you know in certain co conversations or communications or even playing sports or you know the certain kind of flow state flow states yeah that happens and i really i really wonder if that would be possible with a non-human entity unless that entity was conscious and that's the beauty of that westworld show is they're exploring ai on the cusp of consciousness becoming conscious and at the point that it's conscious, it's it's a full life form, 
right? Like, so at that point, I don't think there's any difference. There's but no anything, difference, but right. anything short of consciousness, I think, will be detectable. And is consciousness, is true consciousness, able to be created? You know, that's and what the, and what does that actually mean? I'm what totally, does that actually mean? I'm totally with you on that. I'm looking at at new robotics and machines and things like that, you end up on the edge of simulation theory where you're like, oh, well, you know, we'll never be able to make a robot conscious. And then it's like, well, the human brain is still so far advanced of what our computing systems can do now. Look at the amount of voltage in the little nano circuitry, not even, that's in the human brain at the cellular level. And then you think, well, wait a minute. Is it only a matter of time till we can 3D print at a molecular level? Probably. So then could we print something biological? Probably. So we could print a brain that is the exact structure of the brain that you have in your head right now. Mm. And uh, would that be any different since it's a biological 3D printed set of maps? And the question becomes, is the brain the seat of your consciousness? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good point. You I know, didn't like, think about that. And then, because I, I think that, yeah, probably we could replicate a brain, but then is that consciousness something, is the consciousness the thing that animates the robot or is the thing that emanates from the robot, you know, like, because right, right. we are the robot, does the consciousness come from us, or the consciousness use us as the vehicle to go through? I tend to think the latter. I think consciousness ex exists and transcends the actual form. So we would be basically creating, as like many gods ourselves, creating, you know, new conscious beings, with like new souls, basically, and soul's a weird word to use yeah. for that, but whatever, new consciousness, that in my opinion, once that's created, if it passes the bar of consciousness, it transcends the life of that, it transcends the life of that robot. So, I mean, fuck that gets trippy. I haven't yeah. even followed it this if far, this is right? This your philosophical yeah. degree and studies <laughs> then, coming into then, play here. But then, so presuming, presuming then that if we created something that was, had, had genuine consciousness or allowed consciousness, at least a vehicle for consciousness to come through, it gets really interesting because then if that robot got terminated, then would the consciousness then be able to reincarnate into another actual life form? Or like, yeah. where, like, where are we going? Like, what are the boundaries here? And I tend to still stay somewhat on the skeptic side of us actually creating what would pass the bar of consciousness. But of course, you know, you got to be open to all possibilities and, yeah. and see. And, and I don't think any of these things that I have, they're just speculation. Like you can't, prove any of this stuff surrounding consciousness very well at all so you know it'll just be one of those things where we'll look with curiosity and a little bit of fear and a little bit of a smile and and see what's see what's going to happen i'm excited for it because well first of all some of the stuff most of the stuff that we teach at the art of charm has to do with nonverbal communication body language persuasion and influence i know that the name for a lot of people conjures up like oh it's about getting laid or picking up chicks that era is so far gone for us. It's years and years and years ago. And even then, it was just because we were in our 20s trying to get other guys in their 20s to be interested in the stuff that we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. And what we find is that when you're looking at nonverbal communication, persuasion, and influence, we are really limited by the amount of bandwidth that our conscious brain has. And even to a certain extent, our subconscious brain has to understand or communicate the understand the communications from other people and their bodies as well. But when you're looking at artificial intelligence, you're looking at massive amounts of bandwidth that are unfathomable right now to us as humans who have this little narrow bandwidth where we can see, smell, hear just a little bit. And we're also only able to do a few things consciously. Like if I think consciously about sitting up straight and having great posture in this chair after the few hours that we've been here, I start to lose presence in the conversation. But an artificial being could do that times a thousand, times a million in different yeah. areas, facing different things and doing different calculations. And it reminds me of that movie, I think it was called Her, right? With ScarJo and mm -hmm. uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And he's like, but we had something special. And she's like, I'm having millions of conversations at the exact same time. You're just yeah. one of them. Yeah. And he's just like crushed, <laughs> right? Because he's like, oh crap. Because he's devoting all of his bandwidth to her. Right. And she's like, dude, I, I literally have a million dudes just like you. Yeah. And you're in slow motion for me. I can yeah. do this so fast. You're, you're just like a. It's yeah, like talking with a slot. I can't think of the name of that other movie too. But there's a movie where there was a, you know, basically like a prisoner, like a robot prisoner, and then she just charms her way out of captivity. Oh right, uh, ex Deus Machina uh, yeah, or something Deus, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, ex Machina. 
Ex Machina, right. Yeah. I was thinking, I don't know, there's <laughs> another phrase, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, where she was yeah. just so charming and seductive and knew how to read the, you know, the sublingual patterns of the individual and the pupil dilation and all of these calculations that the human mind is really difficult to make. And you have to have a, a strong body of knowledge in order yeah. to, to really even fathom that and seduce her way, seduce and murder her way out right. into she, the wild. She's like, she's looking at humans like, Really, man? All I have to do is, <laughs> is do it that, that easy. Right. And he's, because he's trying to get her to pass the Turing test the whole time. Yeah. So that you can't tell if it's human. And she's looking at him like, this is so, this is just child's play <laughs> for me to push his emotional switches. Yeah. And that type of human simulation is really only a matter of time, regardless of what they look like or if they're behind those glass walls like they are on that movie. That's the, that's one of the conundrums of AI, right? Is it going to become smarter than us and then learn how to make itself smarter until we are to it like uh, a cat is to us, right? Or an ant, right? You wouldn't, and you wouldn't think twice about the morality of moving an anthill to expand the on it office here, right? So is that AI going to think (laughs) similarly about our city that's standing in the way of it manufacturing more of itself? That's Maybe not. The, that's the Terminator question. That's the Terminator question, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you, uh, you know, I think so many, so many times we think of humans as having complete sovereignty of our choice, but then, you know, as someone who understands even charm itself, I mean, a lot of times you're working on, you know, kind of unconscious and subconscious patterns. Most of the time. Most of the time. On that. Yeah. And that really highlights how much is out of our scope of control, how much is just happening on that you know, underneath layer, beneath all that, and then really recognizing like all of these other factors. And so when you look at someone like Trump or another politician, or do you notice things that maybe some other people wouldn't do just being from your experience and knowledge about ways to charm and kind of sure slightly hypnotize other people? Yeah, I mean, by way of background, just in case people aren't familiar with at all with uh, who I am and what I do, we not only do we teach people body language and nonverbal communication and influence, but very recently we had a bunch of Green Berets come through the course. We had SEAL Team 6 come through our live training before the Bin Laden mission. So we have kind of like consumer-facing, and then we have intelligence agency and military-facing training. And what we're looking at are these patterns of human belief, deception, influence, and persuasion. And when looking at politicians is actually relatively easy because a lot of the time they're operating on they're speaking to the lowest common denominator. doesn't matter what side of the fence they're on. They're speaking to as many people as they can. And whenever you're trying to speak to a large group of people, you always have to lower the caliber of your communication. Mm-hmm. So some people think, oh, it's so genius. Look at the way he's speaking with this and this and this. Usually you're overthinking it if mm. you go that route. If you're if you're speaking to a thousand people and you want is the largest percentage of them to be influenced, you really do have to speak to the baseline of that entire yeah, group. And right. if you can't choose the thousand people, you can imagine what that baseline looks like. So yes, I think if you do look at the way humans communicate it, and you have a knowledge of, we like to refer to it as the matrix because it sounds awesome and we're nerds. If you have a knowledge of the matrix, right, you're looking at the way that people are persuaded and it's really, really obvious and it's really, really simple. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard things like, oh, if you want someone to agree to your idea, make them think it's their idea. That's sure. kind of kind of persuasion 101 advice. And everyone right now listening or watching this is like, that wouldn't work on me. I would notice that happening. And the truth <laughs> is it happens to you every day and you have no idea that it's happening. Yeah. You might find out later, oh, I want some coffee. Well, yeah, you do, but why? Oh, well, that sovereignty that Aubrey was talking about, that's all me. That's This is an idea that I have in my head. But when we study human behavior and when we put people in laboratory settings or even pseudo laboratory settings like we work with at AOC where it's, you know, we're not, this is not a real academic science lab. Mm -hmm. You can find that there's experiments that, that both academics and that we do that show, look, there's all kinds of ideas that are planted in your head through marketing, suggestion, maybe hypnosis stuff, which I don't put a ton of stock into. But if you want coffee this morning, it's because of cultural influence. It's because of something you heard yesterday. It's because of a smell you just experienced that was deliberately put into the air near the business that sells coffee. It's because somebody walked by with a cup that said Starbucks on it. And mm. even if you hate Starbucks, it still had the trigger that Starbucks has spent millions of hundreds of millions of dollars programming into your head. And we think that those ideas are our own, just as your 
Xbox thinks it invented the game that you're playing on it right now. It doesn't think anything. It just has it on there, right? Your computer in the first AI and the smartest computers that we ever will build will at some level probably, and I put think in quotes, think that those ideas are, are original, just as us, us humans do the same thing. And we're always wrong about that. Yeah, it seems like when you're dealing with something like that, like even with Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power, like I was in a an employment situation where that book saved my life, literally. Really? Like it, it was, without that book, I wouldn't have understand understood the environment that I worked in and I would have gotten emotionally and financially slaughtered, right? So for me, I was reading that book you know, in a kind of defensive posture, like what the hell's going on? How come I keep- Were you employed in a prison? What yeah, were you doing? It was, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was not a good situation. But, you know, so, so there was like this kind of defensive, defensive element of that. And I think with, with something like that, you need to know enough of those basics to know when it's being done on you, <laughs> like at the very yeah. bare minimum. And then there's the offensive side of it, which is utilizing this to your advantage. And then, you know, knowing the morality behind those choices. I thought that was one of the beautiful things about Robert Greene's book is that he divorced it from morality. Right. He allowed the reader to take up his own moral suggestion. So if he was illustrating a good example, like uh, observance of the law is what he calls it in 48 Laws of Power, and it involves slaughtering 20,000 people. He didn't say, shame on him. You know, He just said, this is what he did. This is how he used his power. This was effective. And I thought that was a cool way to do it, just allowing the the user to do that. And I think with any kind of charm or seduction, you know, it's that double-edged sword. You want to be able to inoculate yourself against it, and then you have to then decide your own morality about when to use it. And, yeah. And you know, there's a quote from Chogram Trumpa who says, "A warrior's decency is the absence of strategy." You know, like there's a certain point where, yeah, all right, maybe you shouldn't use this on your girlfriend. <laughs> you know, yeah, like sure, maybe sure. you shouldn't use this on your business partner. But maybe in a certain case, you know, you should use this on your bank loan officer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you should do all of the tricks to get, you know, to get yourself the advantage if you're going to do something positive with that. So it's it's an interesting field. Do you go into that? How do you handle the morality yeah, of the of it, the issue? It's tough, and I was just thinking about this recently. Some of it, well, it's a super complex issue, right? But of course, some of it comes down to the question of how much agency do you want the other party to retain? And what I mean by that is if you are holding a knife to my, you're holding a knife, it doesn't matter if you're holding it to my throat or not. And you're like, look, this is going in your gut. Give me all your money. I'm probably going to, of course, give up my wallet and things like that. But if I think that that's not going to get me out of that situation, there might be more that I have to do. And on the show, I've talked about this a million times, but I've been I've been kidnapped twice, and once was by Serbian state security officers when I was there working with the Department of Defense as a teacher. Uh, complex sort of scenario, but essentially they were asking me to. I was taken to a safe house, and they were basically not even sure what they were going to do with me. And at that point. I didn't want them to retain any agency. I didn't want them to, to be free thinkers. I didn't want them to have space to make decisions. I wasn't worried about my future relationships with totally. them, right? This was pure self-defense. So in that type of scenario, any sort of persuasion, any sort of physical force, uh, and any sort of lying or deception is fully on the table. Yep. However, if you're with your wife or your girlfriend and you're in a room and you're like, man, I really want sushi tonight and she seems to be hell-bent on pizza... <laughs> You may want to no, no, go no. full out that point. <laughs> yeah. That point, if it's that trivial, yeah. then also, <laughs> right. then also go for it. It depends how much you hate pizza, right? <laughs> really depends on how much you hate pizza, how how bad you want sushi. <laughs> but you may choose, like, look, long term yeah. relationship. I don't want to manipulate this person into thinking or feeling or bending to my will. And you find that in unhealthy people, sociopaths and things like that. They don't have that. They don't want anybody around them to have any agency Sushi whatsoever. Sushi every fucking day. Sushi every fucking night. <laughs> every di- lunch and dinner. And they do that because they don't care about right. other people's autonomy at all, which is unhealthy for them long term. But they don't care about that either. They don't care about what's good for other people. They only care about what's good for themselves. And that eventually caves in because it's only short-term thinking. Mm-hmm. So really, yeah, I, I think about this a lot one of the core concerns is how much agency you want other people to retain. Because agency in relationships, it's like this wooden wall you've got here in studio. 
if every time I damage that agency, I hammer a nail into that wall, I can pull out all the nails later on by trying to rebuild, oh, you know, look, I'm going to value your opinions more. I'm not going to use these skills on you anymore. Uh, oh, I want you to be a free thinker. I want you to bring more of your yourself into the relationship that we have. There's still holes in the wall. You can't just yeah. pull the nail out and it's going to close up. You know, that's that's how it's going to look forever. Or, or the, the crinkling a paper analogy, right? You can smooth it out as much as you want, but it, you can still see the cracks mm-hmm. where you folded it. And that that's why these skills have to be applied in ways that are ethical. And that's why the core message of AOC and the Art of Trump podcast is always leave everything and everyone better than you found it. It sounds like this dumb Pollyanna motto, right? But you have to follow that with the application of the skills that we teach or you're going to to harm everyone around you and you're going to damage yourself by misapplying this inside your relationships at work and at home. Yeah, I remember reading uh, Neil Strauss's The Game. Sure. You know, and that was like one of the first books in the pickup artist community right, to really right. make a huge splash. And, you know, at the time, I was really, you know, I was frustrated because I felt like I was a really good guy and I just didn't, I wasn't able to get the girls that I wanted to get sure. still. I mean, I was starting, I was starting to transition. How old were you at this time? Uh, right when the book came out. So, f- so um, 2005 tw- probably. Yeah. So that was like 20, 24, you know, somewhere, somewhere around there. Um, fresh out of college or just finishing up college um, right around in that period, transitioning out. And um, I think that's probably kind of always a tough point for anybody because they're losing their college clout and then transitioning yeah. into like bottom of the barrel sure. again. It's that new fresh, surroundings, yeah. new identity that yeah. you have to adopt to survive. Exactly. And you're certainly not the top of the totem pole at your new organization. Hell no. You know, you're, you're don't have any money. You don't you're have flip, it, straight your, flipping copies. <laughs> and there was point. no, there's no Tinder at that point no. either. There was no Bumble. No. You know, I had, it was just straight up normal. So it was really interesting to me. Um, and but then there's also the dark side of it too, like the the idea of nagging somebody, you know, right. which is part of that book. Something that you say that insults them and ruffles their ego and then creates this desire to remedy that and create some kind of, you know, you could describe it a lot better than me. But it was this weird balance of like, you have to put your own morality in that situation as well and be like, am I comfortable right. doing that? Am I comfortable walking up to this person and insulting them? for my advantage and then what is my ultimate end game is it just to to use some resource that this person has sexual or financial or whatever Mm -hmm. and then discard them or is this for their long-term benefit it's a really interesting it's a really interesting thing when you actually start to delve into that yeah it's like the spider-man quote with great power comes Comes great great responsibility exactly and you nailed it that's out of the fires of that book because we were around before that book and we were doing a lot of networking stuff and guys just did not care about networking and persuasion. They wanted to learn how to meet and attract women. So we started to focus the show in that area, which is, it worked great for until it stopped working. It was kind of like, no, we're the good drug dealers, right? Yeah. Everyone's like, Ugh, you're one of those guys. So we rebranded slowly. It's like steering a ship that is an oil tanker. You can't just turn it around and go, ah, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. You really have to turn it slowly. But out of the fires of that type of thing was was the the AOC forged in terms of leave everything and everyone better than you found it because crap like that, that negging stuff goes towards the earlier point of agency. How much agency do I want this person to retain? If I'm gonna to throw a neg on some gal that that I, what I'm doing that for is to get her to question herself, maybe lower her sense of, of status or self-worth in order to stop analyzing my status, put myself on a pedestal above her, make that make myself look more attractive based on my position relative to hers does that really sound like the foundations of a good relationship no it is designed for short term mm-hmm. in fact predatory a reaction that is indeed for one person's benefit only yep. and you can try to say well you know the ends justify the means and i'll ditch all that later on Okay, someone's going to email you and I like, no, that's how I met my wife. Good for you, but that was still crappy. You could have met your wife yeah. by rear-ending her on the highway 
And would that have been the best way to do it? No, probably not. How many romantic comedies have that plot, though? Like, you, you meet someone as part of a game or part of a ruse, or you're pretending to be someone that you're not, right. and then they fall in love for real, and then they find out, like, you were lying this whole time. It's the central problem. And then, then cue, like, pizza box montage where they have to suffer, and if the audience sees that they suffered enough and they didn't love anybody else right. and their hair grew out and their life was ruined, they'll forgive that person enough to get the girl back. Right. Right. like wedding the crashers subplot <laughs> yeah it's like so many of them yeah. have that and i think maybe that speaks to that general archetype of how much we all tend to just lie at the start we do you know start of a relationship i mean i've seen three bumble profiles with my fucking pictures on are them. you serious yeah yeah one of them was pretty one of them was pretty funny like just i mean this the catfishing is obviously a whole other level i don't even know how yeah, that what's works. the plan after they click yes but this then... one was pretty clever it goes it goes I'm not really into bees, but maybe you, honey. And I was like, "Oh, that was that was." Cool. Oh, got it. Okay, I, that I'm clearly not. My, I'm all, way out of my my field here, out of my depth here. Uh, but my bumble game. It's it's really it's really interesting. Like it, even if you're not using somebody else's pictures, like everybody's always even on Instagram. You know, you're presenting the best pictures, the best angles, the best in fucking makeup. You yeah, know? like we're always sure. presenting the best version of the truth in any situation. But that's fine, right? There's a huge difference between yeah. presenting yourself in the best light possible and deceiving someone else outright to believe something, either through omission, and you know who you are, the people who are like, I'm going to allude to the fact that I'm wealthy or something like that <laughs> is still just as, as, as deceptive. Right. But if you're, there's, there is a line and the question becomes what's acceptable to you. And a lot of folks don't think about it this way, but I highly recommend you do. Deceive others only insofar as you are comfortable being deceived by them in the long run. So if I'm putting your pictures up on Bumble and I'm thinking this is going to result in me <laughs> some sort of positive outcome for me, I don't know. I would have to do a lot of things to change myself <laughs> in order to to be able to pull this off if we meet at Starbucks, right? right. She's probably going to be expecting something slightly different than <laughs> what you see here, okay? But- if I'm comfortable doing that with them, then I have to be equally comfortable of, for her to go, hey, sorry I didn't tell you that I'm actually 150 pounds overweight and I'm missing my right ear. Yeah. You have to be totally comfortable with that. That's not really a good foundation for a relationship. So whenever we're tempted to deceive other people in business or in our personal life, just apply it like, in fact, we can coin this term now, the seesaw rule, right? I'm comfortable doing this only in so far as you balance it out on the other side. And yeah. usually the answer is, I just kind of want the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately it comes down to what I call the the platinum rule, which is treat everybody as if they are you living a different life. Oh, that's nice. Like, I like you that. Know, instead of, it's just, we're really all the same. We're really all the same, you know, different perspective of the same being, but we're all the same. You can't do something to somebody else you're not doing to yourself. Because It sounds like an ayahuasca realization. It was. It was? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A very plant medicine in general organized, just this understanding of, oh, that's just me with a different set of circumstances, different set of genetics, a different environment they grew up in, but it's me. And so the idea, I think all, all predatory behavior and all kind of quotes, bad or evil behavior, it rests on the primary delusion and primary fallacy that the people that you're preying on aren't you. So it's inherently self-destructive no matter what. inherently self-destructive. There yeah. you go. No doubt. I like that a lot, actually. That's brilliant. I love the idea that, it, gotta, but that's got to be so hard <laughs> to execute in the moment. How do you manage that? I mean, I know you're interviewing me here, but how do you execute that in the moment? Like, all right, but I really want to, you know, do something with this person or to this person or, you know, as a result of this meeting, but... I've got to treat them like they're you gotta, me. You gotta That's practice tough. It. Yeah, you do. And you have to practice it. And for me, and this is, you know, this is a whole topic for another thing, but for me, open relationship has really tested that the most because I'm in an open relationship with my fiance. And then, so for me, I get to practice that with her lovers. You know, I get to, what normally is the instinct like, oh, you're going to fuck my girl. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to stab you. I have you. a visceral reaction <laughs> I'm gonna stab to you that. In, I'm going to stab you in all the throats. Right. <laughs> you know, with Every all the knives throat. and all the throats. And that's the initial reaction. And then you get to practice. No, no, no. That's me living a different life who's enjoying himself. And that's my girl who's me living a different life, enjoying herself. Two people 
enjoying themselves and I'm the one getting mad, what's the problem here? The problem mm-hmm. here is me getting angry. The problem here is me not looking at it like that. The problem is me looking at this as some kind of insult or them taking when it's really just two people sharing a positive experience. So something like that allows you to, it throws you in the fire and allows you to practice that over and over and over again. Man, I am just, I'm like simulating <laughs> some of the, you have to, man, this must, speaking of steering a ship, you really have to slowly move in that direction. I yeah, think. It's, it was, it's been three years and yeah. the first two and a half were hell and there's still fucking dark moments. Like there's really? still dark moments, still things that, still defense mechanisms that I'll catch myself doing. Mm-hmm. Passive aggressive BS and stuff or, like that. Or yeah, or or trying to pretend that it's something else. Trying to think like, oh no, I'm cool with the open side, but you're really being a bitch about this. Yeah. And just hammering her. How dare her. you forget to go to yeah, Hammering her about yeah. some other thing. Sure. And then realizing, you know what? It really wasn't that. It was that I'm hurt about her the open relationship steal and I'm not allowing myself to feel that. I'm just projecting it onto some other thing. Right. Sure. So there's still Oof. there's still it's just constant work, but it's a good like anything, you know, how do you, you know, practice makes the master. How do you practice so seeing how, someone as you living a different life? You practice yeah. it. So how, but well, okay. I don't know if you accidentally answered that and I just didn't get the answer, but how do you practice that in the moment? Because you're going to feel that emotional trigger. Let's yeah. maybe even not in the open relationship thing, but let's say you're walking down the street, uh, sixth street and someone's like, Hey man, do you have any change? And you're thinking like, this is the 50th person who's asking me for this stuff. Uh-huh. Look, I feel bad that you're homeless, but you're holding a 40. Like, I don't have that much sympathy for you. But then you kind of have to. But there's a fine line because, yeah, you would want to you would want to donate if you were treating it like yourself. But maybe is not. That maybe not the maybe best thing? you wouldn't want to enable, though. Right. Exactly. You know, yeah, like, sure. like there's a enabling is a real thing. It's not always pandering to someone's basest instincts you know if some if a crackhead says can i have some more crack you know maybe you don't give them that if someone who's addicted to compliments or addicted to sex or addicted to Mm -hmm. you know the the small amount of money that they're getting so that they don't have to do the things that get themselves out of the hole then you're just enabling them so it really isn't an act of love or compassion it's really an act of indulgence on your crap example on my part no but i think that's i think that's the only way out so you do make this calculation in many ways yeah. Almost as a rationalization of what you were going to do anyway, though, on the other it side depends. of it. It depends, yeah. I mean, and there are certain cases where compassion and generosity is 100% warranted, but you also have to know that you count, too. Like, you have to value yourself and your own resources and your own availability. You can't give exponentially and not receive in return because you, you'll delete your own. So you have to value yourself, you know, make sure that you value yourself as important, you know, long term. And then, you know, be mindful of enabling versus these other forces. It's... It's, it's a, a tough challenge. calculation, it's a, it's man. It's a tough calculation. There's a lot going on upstairs every time you walk <laughs> yeah. down 6th Street here. Yeah, for sure. And and I'm not saying I get it right all the time, but that's ultimately the the ideal, the platonic ideal that you that you thrive for is to really treat everybody like they're you. I found in a lot of the a lot of the interviews that we do with really successful folks like we had Shaq on recently and he was talking about very similar the very similar ideas that He's really not that different. And this is Shaq, bear in mind, very different from other humans in many ways. And he also sees himself as not that different from other people. Um, And I asked, man, who was it recently? Bill Nye, the science guy, I believe, also had very sort of common man beliefs about, look, everybody is, everybody's essentially very similar. We all, we have to start thinking of ourselves that way. Once we start seeing ourselves on these different stratum or strata this is where problems arise. And I've noticed that people who are exceptionally successful and highly intelligent, they all do start to converge, maybe not all, but many start to converge in the same direction. And I think it's because they're more thoughtful, possibly also because they have the luxury of being more thoughtful because they're Mm. not focused on survival. Were you always, oh crap, you're interviewing me. But anyway, (laughs) were you always thinking about things like this even when you were younger or was this like i take a philosophy class in college and then suddenly you just made a right turn you know i think it was imbued i had some of those values imbued but without Mm -hmm. the philosophical underpinnings like my mom was always the type of person she says look we won't be able to help everybody or everything but if it crosses our paths we're going to do our best so that could be an animal that showed up with a broken wing or you know uh 
I remember any type of situation. I remember one time there was a hawk that showed up and it had a mangled wing. And Whoa. my mom had me get an oven mitt and walk out there and I had a beef on the wow. oven mitt and I was terrified and I had, I had ski goggles on and sure. kids clawed at my eyes or something. You know, we'd always try to help any animal that we could or any person that we could that would come through. And so the morality was there kind of early. Early on, yeah. But then the philosophical underpinnings of, oh, you know, that hawk is me expressed in a different life form in a different machine. That person is me expressed in a, that came from the the psych, psychedelic journeys, I think, and, and the expansion upon of uh, my philosophy. I should probably stop asking you questions. I already <laughs> had my turn. Yeah, brother. Well, I got I to gotta wrap this thing up. Oh, Anyways, okay man. then. Dude, it was a real pleasure. It's been a long time in the yeah. works, right? We've been trying to do this forever. This only took four or five years. <laughs> yeah. So no maybe worries. the next, maybe we can do round two <laughs> yeah. in a slightly we're smaller. Like, you know, we're in like a bi-decade pattern. Yeah. Yeah. That should be good. The next time we do this, we can have it on the Onnit plane or the yeah, Onnit yeah. private Onnit island. There it is. Yeah. Manifestation. People, listen to the Art of Charm podcast. Where can they follow you to? Sure. So I don't use all the bajillion different sorts so. I don't use all the social media things because I feel like uh, they're over. I'm overwhelmed even explaining that I don't use all the social media things. So I'm on Twitter. Great place to engage. People can email me, Jordan at theartofcharm.com. But what look, a bold move putting your email out there. Yeah. Look at you. He's a man of the people, everyone. I, man of the people. But I, I, you know what? You're already listening to a podcast. I would love it if people would check out the Art of Charm podcast. And look, you don't have to like me, but somebody out there likes Shaq, Bill Nye, the science guy, Neil deGrasse Tyson, General McChrystal. I mean, we got great people on that show, and I let them do a lot more talking than I let you have, <laughs> than I let you do today on your own show. Uh, I love it, man. I love Thank it. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Much love, everybody. Peace. People often ask me why I started on it, and one of the best answers to that question is it has everything that I fucking love. It has the fitness products that I've loved using for years between the kettlebells, the maces, the clubs, all of these unconventional tools that have history in some cases that extend back a thousand years but that modern athletes are using. It has the best supplements. Not only have we taken natural ingredients, we've tested them in rigorous clinical trials like Alpha Brain with the Boston Center for Memory. And then it has all of these delicious functional foods and proteins. This is a culmination of all of the tools that I like to use to benefit my life on a daily basis. And I literally use these things on a daily basis. I love this stuff. It's a key part of who I am. And I hope you guys love it as much as I do. Onnit.com slash Aubrey, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash Aubrey. You'll save 10% on everything. Enjoy.